Hi, welcome to Missouri Made, the podcast that gives you an insider look at Missouri politics. I'm State Representative Deb Lavender, representing District 90, Kirkwood-Glendale area of the St. Louis County. Today we have with us Representative Ingrid Burnett from District 19 over what I consider the Kansas City side of the state. Uh, Representative Burnett, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Very happy to be here. I represent District 19, which is uh, parts of the urban core of Kansas City on east into Sugar Creek and Western Independence. Uh, And I'm very happy to be here today. Good. You were elected in 2016, so you're now serving your second term. Yes. And I know you were on budget last year. Yes. So we both have served on budget the same amount of time. We both got on budget last year. And I know we were both astonished that as a state, we do not provide money for public defenders for our juveniles. We do not. We did in the past. Those units, there were two units, one in Jackson County, one in St. Louis. They were there as a resource to serve not just juveniles and representing them, but attorneys who were representing juveniles to make sure that they were aware of all of the options and all of the intricacies involved in when juveniles are involved in the criminal system. There's special education law, there's uh, Safe Schools Act, there are numerous opportunities, diversion programs for children that attorneys who don't work with children typically might not know about. In 2000, those units had to be closed because the funding wasn't there. And from in that year, those two units served 5,000 children. Over the years, that number has decreased. Last year, they served just over 1,000. So public defenders that deal with children will know of the resources more available for kids that you just mentioned. Right. So those children, without the specific knowledge of public defenders, we're not serving the kids in the full range of capacity that we can. Correct. We are not. And in addition to that, because those attorneys don't know, they're not available in many parts of the state. And so the children and their parents are being convinced that they can get a quicker outcome if the child will just waive their right. The problem with that is when the child waives their right to counsel, they have consequences that go beyond just the case itself that can impact their ability to get employed, to enlist in the military, or and it's an open record. So any time they have an, an issue going forward, this comes up as part of their past. You've said a lot there that I want to see if we can unpack a little bit more. I'm going to still go back and say in 2000, with declining revenue, we lost specialization of public defenders that had juvenile experience. Correct. I am amazed, appalled, surprised that we have little regard in this state for the Sixth Amendment, the right to counsel. Correct. We have not, in the time frame that I'm aware of, paid public defenders well to serve the people of our state who've been arrested for whatever reason. That concerns me that we are denying people one of the Bill of Rights, one of the first 10 rights that we are all just, you know, the First Amendment we know, the Second Amendment we know, 
not everybody maybe remembers that it's the Sixth Amendment that gives us the right to counsel. Right. I think you're correct. And I think particularly with children. You know, I was an elementary school counselor for 15 years prior. And prior to that, I was in the Catholic school system working with elementary school students. Children who get into trouble don't have good judgment. And so when we put this before them, and a right they have that they don't even know, and they don't understand the consequences of waiving that right, this is a child who has already exhibited that they don't have good judgment, we're asking them to use their judgment to determine whether or not they need counsel. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and they don't know. Yeah. They don't know what they don't know. I um, learned several years ago that our brain is not finished maturing until we're between 22 and 25 years of age. Yep. And the last portion of the brain to develop is that that understands consequences and our choices. And that's where we get in trouble. That's when as teenagers and as young adults, mm -hmm. we make decisions that are stupid, literally stupid, but run us into trouble. But part of the reason we make those decisions is because our brain is not finished forming. Yes. And so it's always astonished me the punishment that we put in place for people under 22 when those bad decisions are truly a function of the brain maturing. Yes, and to take that just a step further, in education, pedagogy, and uh, psychology, what we know is that the most important aspect to learning in the environment for children is absence of threat. Now, wow. you are in this very threatening situation. Your parents are feeling very threatened by this. If they're even there, your brain shifts into that survival of get me out of here as quick as I can. Of course, that's the decision they make is I got to get out of here instead of thinking what the consequences may be further down the road. Right. And you've introduced a bill, so we should move right to that. You've introduced a bill in this session that says children in Missouri will have access to a public defender before they stand in front of a judge if they can't afford one. Yes. If they can't afford one. Mm -hmm. That they have that opportunity without waiving the right. That the only way they get to waive a right of having a public defender is with a public defender. Correct. That it, it seems counterproductive for the child to go in front of a judge without knowing what the rights are. That's not the judge's role to counsel the child. It's, it's the judge's role to determine whether or not the child knows what they're doing and that they're doing so willingly. And, and just to be clear, this, is not, this, is, this has to do with nonviolent offenses. When children are charged with violent offenses, it goes into a whole different process. This is only when children are accused of nonviolent well, offenses. Well, thank you for that clarification. That's very important to know as well. Tell me some of the consequences that can happen that children and families don't know about not having a, an attorney by your side when you go into those court situations. Well, one of the things that happens, I think the most glaring thing that happens without an attorney is that that record remains open and anybody 
can access it. So an 18-year-old who has this record, or a 17-year-old who has this record when they were 10, 11, 12. And this can be stealing candy. Yes. It can be maybe some vandalism, maybe um, throwing eggs at a home or a car, because certainly an awful lot of us may have been guilty of those offenses and weren't caught. What other types of well, the, the situations. And I don't know a lot about this case, but the case that really kicked this off in terms of the interest of the uh, national interest in what's going on here is the, um, a, a young man, a, a, he was 12, 13 years old, he was home. He says his friend made an obscene phone call to a woman. The woman reported it to the police. The police came and picked him up, charged him, and sentenced him without his mother ever knowing. It was two days. He was away from home for two days before his mother was notified of where he that was. That he'd been arrested? Right. Wow. Uh, when did this happen? In oh, our... gosh. that I, I wish I could But it was years ago? It was years ago, okay. yes. That kicked off an audit of our court system and how we, how we address juveniles that um, gave us a very bad report uh, and a mandate to fix it. Several, I think that was in 2010. In 2013, they came back and said, we're not making enough progress. The Supreme Court of Missouri appointed a committee um, to examine this and come up with recommendations. The committee is, consists of judges, or, or one judge in St. Louis, uh, Judge Hemphill, juvenile officers, prosecutors, law enforcement. And when they saw that I had filed this bill, they, and I filed it also last year, it just didn't get much play. It was toward the end of the session and, and not a big surprise. But they uh, contacted me and we had a conference call where I was conferenced into one of their meetings and without exception, each one said, this needs to be more than just a rule of the court. This needs to be in legislation because rules can change and, right. and legislation can't right. be changed without legislative a action. Right. right. Well, I understand that your bill has been referred to committee and you have had a committee meeting. Had a hearing. A yes. hearing. And when was that? Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. And I'm... I'm sure you had people testifying in favor of your bill. Absolutely. Which is part of the process here. When a bill is first filed, the Speaker of the House refers it to a committee. The chair of the committee then establishes a, a hearing, and then you as the legislature are responsible for setting up your hearing, hopefully getting people to come and testify for your bill. And then because this is all public, if there are people who are against your bill, they should also be there to testify. Correct. Did you have anybody testify against your bill? I did not. So the public defender, uh, ACLU, and then there was a gentleman who advocates for children with disabilities who was also there to testify in favor. In the meantime, I've been checking with all of the different agencies just to make sure that we're not going to run into any problems. Uh, one of the agencies I checked into was the Division of Juvenile Services, which is the division that serves children after they get charged. And their response was, absolutely, we support this. 
anything you can do to keep the children out of our system is going to be better for right. the children. I, I think one other um, really significant piece of data here is that when children go into the Division of Juvenile Services, they have like a recidivism rate of 41%. When children are represented by an attorney, they have a recidivism rate of 11%. Wow. So we can say that a child standing in front of a judge with no representation is 41% likely to come back and stand in front of that judge again. Mm -hmm. But one who's been counseled is only 11% likely. I have found, I've done a little bit of work with the bail project, and I shouldn't even say work, some research with the bail project that started um, in New York and has moved over into the state of Missouri. And for adults, they're finding the same thing. When we charge them a bond that they cannot afford, they are more likely to plead guilty to get out. Yeah. Because people still have families, and again, we're talking nonviolent. Families and jobs right. and um, responsibilities. responsibilities. And when you sit in jail, all of that starts um, eroding, and so people are pleading guilty to get out of jail. The bail project allows people on nonviolent offenses to leave without posting a bond. They have 97% of these people come back to their court date because that's always the concern. Oh my goodness, if we don't charge them money, they won't come back. 97% of them come back, which I think is about the same statistic on whether or not they left money, paid a bond. And they're finding that of the people who come back that have been able to be at home, half of them plead guilty, half, fewer than half plead guilty, and of that, only like 20% do jail time. Wow. And so if you're in jail and you cannot afford to get out, the same thing is happening. They plead guilty, and then forevermore, that carries with them. Now, you had talked, if you don't have, I'm circling back a little bit, if you don't have an attorney, that record is kept open? Yes, you can file to get that sealed. Okay. Uh, but you happen to have a have to have an attorney right. to seal right. the case. And and you kind of have to have an attorney to know you can do that. Right. That's interesting. And the importance of that is now you've got a 16-year-old who did something, who doesn't have counseling, who is accused of being guilty, and maybe he does volunteer hours or something. I don't know what we do with 16-year-olds that are found, you know, maybe put some time in detention. But now that kid's 18, and you had mentioned earlier military, now they want to go into the military, and what happens? They're not qualified then because they have this record. Right. And had they had an attorney, then that record is sealed. And, you know, my experience is in elementary. So I'm, I have had experience, 10-year-olds and 11-year-olds who get caught up in this. This isn't... It, it, when you get to 16, 17, I can understand why you, you know, you might have a little more frustration and um, intolerance with certain behaviors, particularly if they've persisted over the years. But a 10-year-old, here's the piece that really concerns me. 
we talk about this school to prison pipeline and we talk about our growing prison population to the point where we have to build more prisons and privatize our prisons we are growing our criminals when we put children in the criminal system and we're doing that by not providing them a public defender to talk with before they go before a judge. Yes, yeah. yes, and we're growing them into a system that depends on a population in order to make their money. It's, it's really pretty despicable. Right. right. Do I understand you had a story about a pellet gun? Uh, it wasn't a pellet gun, it was a, a gun for uh, bird hunting okay. uh, in rural Clay County, and I, I, it was a story that was brought to me by a colleague, and so I don't have all of the details, but he, he went to school. A young person? A young person, drove his, his truck to school, he, high school kid, um, had his bird hunting gun in the gun rack in the window of the car and the truck, didn't take it in, didn't tell anybody about it, didn't have any threats but was arrested at school by the police because it violated Safe Schools Act. And the school, because of Safe Schools Act, was required by law to report it. And so he was... I, I'm not sure what happened okay. to him, but you know, you follow that line of thinking and what, you know, what the consequences could be. It could be he, you know, his family could afford an attorney. I don't know. Yeah. Had, he been a, had he been in a family that couldn't afford an attorney, that's, you know, I mean, that's just, that puts him in a really high risk for changing the course of his life forever. Right, because he lives in an area where they go hunting and probably didn't even occur to him that his bird gun was still in the gun rack in the pickup of his... It wasn't a big deal. Right. Even if he did occur right. to him. He's, you know, he's 16 right. years old. Ah, right. oh, yeah, I'll get it. I'll remember to take it back. I mean, right. you're, you're not focused on that. <laughs> that You're focused on getting to class or getting to see your friends right. or go, getting some breakfast. Right. You're not... Right. It, it, it would be like leaving your cell phone in the car. Right. And that's certainly something that we need to allow a 16-year-old to have made... A mistake. Right. Uh, you know, an unintentional mistake and not have something like that affect him. Well, we certainly hope he had the opportunity for counseling and her, hopefully that that resolves well for him. So yes. good. Yeah. So what are the next steps for your bill? And what's the bill number? Bill number is uh, House Bill 42. And what are the next steps for House Bill 42? So it's been assigned. It's been. It's had its committee hearing. The next step is for the committee chair to schedule another hearing where it gets voted on by the committee. I've spoken with. And it's a thir There are thirteen people on this committee. I've spoken with about seven, <clears throat> uh, who are who are very supportive. If it gets the hearing uh, and passes, and I'm hopeful that it will, then it will go to the floor. Uh, and if it goes to the floor. Um, then it comes up for debate on the floor for the body to decide and then move on through the process over on the Senate side. Mm -hmm. And I know there was something earlier this year that you brought this concept up on the floor. There was a related debate. Mm -hmm. And I know you got some support from both sides on the aisle. Absolutely. And yeah. a little astonishment from people that this was not already I, in law I in I hear Missouri. that all the time. I hear that all the time. People when I tell them what we're doing here, they look at me and say, we don't do that already. Right. 
Really? Right. Why would we not think that that would automatically apply to our children? So and one of the opportunities we have as legislators is to co-sponsor other people's bills. Uh, this has about 10 co-sponsors. Nice. And they're bipartisan. Nice. It's a bipartisan support. Now, is there a cost of this to the people of the state? Um, according to the fiscal note, no. It has the potential of increasing the caseload for the public defender. and But they will, that's their job. They have to do that whether we appropriate right. the money or not. Right. So um, what is currently happening in some counties, Jackson County is one of them, Jackson County Courts have a policy and a rule that all juveniles will get representation. They have a, a wide assortment and availability of attorneys. When a public defender isn't available, they just assign it. They can script an, an attorney to, to take that case, and that attorney has to take the case pro bono. Um, but that's not happening in, in all In a areas. lot of Missouri. Right. Agreed. Good. With that, I think we've had a good conversation about why we feel that our juveniles, our kids, should have access to public defenders. Representative Burnett, I want to thank you for our listeners. We're, we started early this morning. We have a long day today in the House. Uh, we have floor this morning, House debate this morning. We have a presentation of the chairman of the budget dropping what's called his sub. So that's the next step in the budget process. We'll be looking at his sub today. And then we've been told we're going late this evening on a bill relating to charter schools. Yes. So I appreciate your getting up early and being with us Thank this you. morning for everyone listening. I think the ambient noise was a little bit um, lower today than our usual. And I think that's because we just got a head start on most people in the building today. Well, and to put in one more plug in the budget chair's budget that we're going to see today, I'm hopeful that we're going to see funding for those juvenile units to be reinstated, which would make a big difference in the outcome of how this bill moves forward. Terrific. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. Please subscribe to the podcast. We'll have a new episode each week. Follow me on Facebook and on Twitter at Deb Lavender. We'll have a website for you where you can find all of our episodes, videos from the Capitol, and more. Thank you for listening.